Hello and welcome to Switchbacks, a National Parks podcast. In 2015, we quit our jobs to visit all of the U.S. National Parks in one year, and ever since, we have been obsessed with all things National Park Service. This is week six of a 62-week tour of virtually revisiting a new national park each week through a podcast episode and in-depth guide on SwitchbackKids.com. We hope you learn something new and get inspired because the national parks are for everyone. Today we're heading back to the early 1900s with the establishment of Wind Cave National Park. Cole. Elizabeth. Did you know that Wind Cave is known as the densest cave system in the world? I with had... the greatest, so this is the measure, the greatest passage volume per cubic mile. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, I would not want to get lost in there then. It's also one of the longest caves in the world. I think it's number six. They kind of go back and forth a lot, but I think right now it's Right, they keep the exploring. Sixth, yeah, the sixth mm-hmm. longest. And a lot of people don't know about this park at all. Yeah, so we're excited to get into it and share it with people. Um, so for somebody who's new to Wind Cave National Park, what's it best known for, Elizabeth? So Wind Cave is obviously most, the, the park is most known for the cave, right? So Wind Cave is a dry cave um, consisting of calcite formations like boxwork and something called frostwork. Um, it has the uh, huge percentage, most of the boxwork in the world is found in Wind Cave. Yeah, it's like 90%, like in the 90% mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, this particular formation, uh, so it's quite rare and quite centralized, apparently. Also, a cool thing about Wind Cave, one of their wonders, is that they have a, a lake in the cave that ha- has calcite sheets on it. It's called Calcite Lake, and these sheets float around like lily pads. Uh, so that's interesting. And then uh, Elizabeth The mentioned- other thing I would say it is known for the, the park overall is known for is the the prairie grasslands Mm -hmm. that have a lot of that are full of bison full of elk lots of other wildlife that you can drive through and see just tons of wildlife in that area yeah it's really obviously the cave takes precedence as it should uh, but up top uh, on the surface is a whole other half of the park that people should really appreciate too. Yeah, it's actually the largest mixed grass prairie in the U.S. The largest remaining, wow. The largest remaining mixed grass prairie in the U.S., yep. So let's touch on a brief <clears throat> history now in our overview section. Uh, Wind Cave, we're getting to it as our sixth park in this new season of the podcast because it was established way back in 1903 and it was um, the first park dedicated specifically to a cave anywhere in the world. So again, kudos to you know national park conservationists getting these things protected and setting precedents. Um, it's also, you know, documented that Native Americans like the Lakota, the Cheyenne knew about this cave, um, but we don't know if they entered it or not. Uh, there's evidence of teepee rings near the cave's natural entrance. So people have known about this cave for a long time, but it was first discovered by white Americans in 1881. 
so not long before it was protected as a park, um, Tom and Jesse Bingham heard wind rushing out of a hole in the ground, and uh, supposedly they went to go check it out, and Tom's hat blew right off his head. Uh, That's because Wind Cave is what's known as a barometric cave, so changes in the atmospheric air pressure uh, make you know the, the cave breathe essentially, and wind you know rushes out of in this case a, a quite small hole. So it's one of the largest barometric caves in the country. Um, yeah. yeah, and and the ownership kind of had went through a lot of conflict over the next. So this was in 1881 when they first when the first white Americans discovered it um, in. In 1891, the South Dakota Mining Company tried to take it over and find something valuable. Um, after they weren't able to really find anything, then it, it started forming into this tourist attraction. And in 19, 1892, it was open for just a dollar for, well, not just. Back then it was very expensive, but for a dollar per person to take a tour through the cave. Yeah, and there was lots of back and forth legal conflict after that, even uh, between early homesteaders. And, uh, we found one time in our research where actually two men hid inside the cave for 24 hours trying to claim it as their own. Um, but finally, the U.S. government kind of you know squashed that squabbling and came in, decided to survey the cave in 1902. And Wind Cave was established as a national park by good old Teddy Roosevelt in 1903. Yeah, and now you can visit for a little more than a dollar, but it's not <laughs> much more than a dollar. Yeah, let's let's get yeah. into how to visit. Yeah, so we always go through certain sections when we talk about how to visit this park. So first thing is when to visit or seasonal considerations. Um, so... It's most popular in the summer when when people are traveling. Um, summers are generally hot, dry. There's some thunderstorms that are pretty common in the summer. Um, in the in the spring, the the park receives about 18 inches. No, that's annual. 18 inches of rain annually. Most of it is in the spring. So rainy springs, warm, dry falls, cool evenings in the fall, and then winter storms usually bring snow, and sometimes the park roads are, are uh, have to close. Yeah, but if you want to get away from all of that, the cave is a pleasant 54 degrees year-round. So uh, that's another thing. If you're going down in the cave, don't forget that jacket. Um, so getting around, how to get there, park layout, etc. You know, what, is, what does the park look like? Um, When I'm looking at the map of the park, I was trying to think what it makes me think of. The shape of it actually makes me think of a handgun facing to the right or one of those hounds, you know, with the droopy jowls, um, like the head of one of those hounds facing to the right. Yeah, I'm having trouble picturing that, I think. Anyway, you know, there's, (laughs) there's a section that the cave is in down in the bottom left, and then the northwest section, um, so bottom left being southwest, <laughs> and the northeast section is where all of the prairie and gra- and hiking and trails are. Um, so, yeah, it's a very straightforward layout. Yeah, and it's not that big. It's 28,294 acres. 
Yeah. So. As far as getting to the park, um, the closest airport is in Rapid City, South Dakota, where is pro- where that's probably going to be your main hub for visiting um, several parks, hopefully, in the area. Um, One hour away. It's about an hour from the park, yep. And there's no public transportation, so you'll want to have a car for this park, for sure. And there's one park road, mostly just one, with a few offshoots that go to the visitor center and the entrance to the cave and the scenic drive and the campground. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's a pretty straightforward layout. Yep, not complicated. Um, Nearby parks, uh, there are actually a lot of them. You don't think of a hotbed of tourism when you think of southwestern South Dakota. At least I don't. Um, But there's so much to do there. We loved it when we went to visit Wind Cave National Park and Badlands National Park at the same time when we were doing our year of the national parks. Um, So Badlands, obviously, quite close in the area, one and a half hours away. Mount Rushmore National National Memorial is one hour away. Jewel Cave National Monument is actually 40 minutes away. So that's another really cool cave in the area. And then Minuteman Missile National Historic Site and Devil's Tower National Monument are also well worth stops, not far too far away. They're a bit over two hours uh, drive from Wind Cave. So if you're based in Rapid City, you have a lot of options, a lot of great options. Yeah. So moving into where you'll want to sleep... Um, If you are sleeping in the park, there's one option. It's a campground called Elk Mountain. It has 61 sites. It's open all year. Um, It's $18 unless the water is off, in in which case uh, it's half price. Yeah, flush toilets, drinking water, all that good stuff. Yeah. And then there are also campfire programs, um, ranger programs available in the campground. And then outside the park, if you want to still camp but do it outside the park, uh, we didn't mention this in the nearby spots, but actually adjoining to the park land is Black Hills National Forest, where you can do some dispersed camping, or um, Custer State Park. So that those are two other places that you could check out right nearby and find accommodations or camping there as well. All right, so our experience in the park was in June of 2016. We stayed for two days. We stayed, we slept one night. Well, we were in the area for probably over a week. We, we saw a lot of parks, including Badlands, Minuteman Missile, uh, Mount Rushmore. We tried to go to Jewel Cave and, and couldn't get tickets. Um, but it, within the within Wind Cave itself, we were there for two days. We did a cave tour. And we did the park scenic drive, which we would recommend both of those. And we stayed in the campground, which was very lovely. Yeah, and a few short hikes. Um, Like we mentioned, we tried to get up top as well. Uh, So definitely a place where I would be interested in going back, take maybe a different cave tour next time. Um, I guess let's start getting into that type of stuff uh, in the activities section now. Um, so regarding activities, must-sees. Uh, obviously, the biggest must-see is the cave, and you 
it's not, uh, it, you have to do it with a tour. So there are lots of Wind Cave tour options. All are 10 to $12 each, except the Wild Cave tour, which is $30. So total, there is the, um, there's six tours. There's the Garden of Eden tour, the Natural Entrance tour, which we did, the Fairgrounds tour, which focuses on a you know, certain area of the cave, um, the Candlelight tour, and the Wild Cave tour. Both of those have limited uh, spots, so you need to make a reservation. And then an accessible tour, you know, if you have some accessi- accessibility accommodations. Um, so yeah, they are mostly an hour to an hour and a half, uh, except for the Wild Cave Tour, which is uh, four hours. So <clears throat> lots of good options. Um, you could do multiple if you want as well, but bottom line, you got to see the cave. Yeah, and I would argue that you just as, well, maybe not just as much, but you also have to see above ground, I think. I think this park is, is, um, is interesting in that it's mostly the, about the cave, but a lot of people pass right over the, the park drive, the animals, the wildlife, everything like that. So I would say you also should really try to at least do the scenic drive, maybe get out for a hike, make it a full day at the park. It'll be worth it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and out of that, you know, the scenic drive would be the, the probably must-do part and we haven't, we kind of described the loop you can do, but this is one thing that we really enjoyed is doing the scenic drive loop from the main road, you know, that goes by the visitor center and, you know, goes from top to bottom in the park, but you can loop that into gravel roads, you know, from highway 87 to five, uh, and back to 395 into the park or 385. Anyway, just you can see when you look at the map, there's a nice loop you can do that is mostly within the park, and that really gets you um, because there aren't a lot of roads there, and especially on the gravel road, you really get to experience the rolling prairies and you know, kind of that uh, austere beauty. Yeah, so your favorites, you guys submitted some of your favorite experiences at Wind Cave, so we want to we want to spout off a few of those. Someone said the ranger-led tour is a must, which we would agree with just for the sheer history and information we got from the tour. It was super interesting. Someone said outside the cave is just as wonderful as the inside, which rings true to what we've been saying. Uh, Someone said hiking the centennial slash lookout loop, which is 7.3 mile. It's a 7.3 mile loop trail. And then someone said adding on Custer State Park for a combined wildlife drive, which is similar to what we did. So we would we would uh, back all of those. Sorry, quick cor- correction. The Centennial Trail and Lookout Point Trail loop is actually smaller. The 7.3 miles that I put in our notes here is for connecting the Centennial Trail to the Highland Creek Trail loop. So there are a few different loops you can do in the, you know, section of, uh, uh, you know, the northeast section. But actually, one of our national parks books noted uh, or under the 
best day hikes in the national parks section had the Centennial Trail Highland Creek Loop. So, you know, definitely don't discount those trails because apparently some of the experts think they're pretty high up uh, in the Mm -hmm. National Park Service. All right. So some secrets of the park. Speaking of some off the beaten path adventures you can do. Um, one of the secrets is that off-trail hiking is allowed. So you are allowed to park your car and hike without without being on a trail throughout through the prairie. Of course, if you as long as you're adhering to the staying away from wildlife and and leaving no trace and things like that. Backcountry camping is also free. You have to get a permit from the visitor center, but that is also free. Um, as is horseback riding. Yeah, not free, not but free. is permitted. It's allowed. <laughs> in, you know, you can just go off, off trail horseback riding in the park. And that's, you know, the people I heard talking about their experience with that was just really amazing, you know, uh, in the heart of, of nature, in, you know, riding through these prairies and seeing the bison and everything. Um, so perhaps check out, uh, of course, if you have horses, that's an option, or you can, I believe, find a place to rent them, uh, or, or, um, you know, schedule a horseback ride. So another, uh, really interesting trail that people might pass right by, um, in the far Southern end of the park is the Cold Brook Canyon Trail. So, you know, there are all these little trails. This one in particular is a bit away from the others. So it has, you know, a lot less people there. But, you know, anytime you can kind of go through a canyon and get a little different um, scenery around you, I I think that's worth a quick trail. And it looks quite short. So another option. That's a few secrets. Mostly I would say it's cool to me that you can just hike, you know, off trail anywhere. Absolutely. Now, Wind Cave is definitely family friendly. So we'll go into a a few of the family considerations. Um, According to the website, the natural entrance tour works really well, even for young children. And as do all of the tours, most of the most older kids have no problem with the fairgrounds tour, which is the most strenuous of any of the regular walking tours. Now, I believe the Wild Cave Tour is only for ages 16 and up. So, but for younger families, any of those other regular walking tours would be great. There's also a program called Adventures in Nature at the park, which gives you the opportunity to learn about different nature topics with games, crafts, a hike, and that's on every other Tuesday from January to March. And, of course, there's the Junior Ranger Program, which is available at all national parks. Uh, They have a printable version at the park and an online version as well. All right. So you have your family activities. You also have a big adventure activity that I like to highlight here. So for big adventure in Wind Cave, I would definitely recommend the Wild Cave Tour. I didn't do it at Wind Cave. I did it at Carlsbad Caverns, and we both did the Mammoth Cave one. If I went back to Wind Cave, I'd definitely do the Wild Cave Tour. I just love getting off the regular paths, being able to kind of crawl around, feel like you're really in the heart of the cave. Um, Personally, I don't mind 
small spaces. So this, you know, this particular cave tour, though, the Wild Cave Tour, looking on the website would really stretch people. I think it would really qualify as a big adventure for, for a lot of people. Um, first of all, it's, you know, four hours. So it's, and that's a long time to be crawling around, you know, walking through you know, tight spaces. Um, also, there is a, f- a lot of tight spaces, but one in particular, they say you have to at least be able to fit through a space that is 10 inches tall and three feet wide. That's tiny. So 10 inches, yeah. That, That's tiny. That is real tiny. Um, I thought we went through some small spaces on the Mammoth Cave Wild Cave Tour. But that's, yeah, they, they are pretty intense as far as national park activities go, which are tend to be kind of tame. Wild Cave Tours are definitely a way to utilize the park rangers' experiences and equipment and, um, and get pretty adventurous. Right. And as Elizabeth mentioned, minimum age is 16. The tour is limited to 10 people, so you'll have a nice tight group. And the part, you know, there's info about what you need to bring, what they'll provide, etc. So definitely recommend the Wild Cave Tour. And the and we already talked about some of the other bigger adventure hikes you can do. I think the longest is the Highland Creek Trail at 8.6 miles it's the longest and most diverse Um, but yeah that's the big adventure stuff okay so getting into the Q&A these are questions that you guys submitted from Instagram so if you have a question on a future park you can definitely hit us up at switchback kids uh, for these questions and the first question is, are there activities at the park besides the cave since it is closed right now? Now, we are recording in September 2020 when we are still in the COVID pandemic. Um, and also, so, actually... So all of the cave tours are not running currently. Right. And actually, they're double closed because the elevators have been out of service since late 2019, I believe. But sometime 2019, they had to close down because the elevators weren't working. And even though there is a natural entrance, they have to have those elevators as a medical escape route. So um, I've heard they're you know it, it, repairing and getting back in action soon. Uh, and at that point, we'll just have to wait on COVID. So. Yeah, but the bottom line is, as we've talked about, there are lots of other activities in the park. So what are some things you would note again? Yeah, just to reiterate, there's 30 miles of of hiking trails. There's backpacking, horseback riding. There are the surrounding parks, which are amazing. Custer State Park and Badlands and Jewel Cave and things like that. Well, Jewel Cave will also probably not be open. Um, And just learning about the history and the story of the cave at the Visitor Center is also really quite fascinating it's 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 a very unique part of the national park history i think yeah and we've touched on this some but maybe not as much as we could there's lots of wildlife here there are is a big herd of about 450 bison there are elk there are you know prairie animals um so yeah there's plenty to do on a uh wildlife Uh, search too. Yeah. And just to note, I will say that Wind Cave is not 
the most beautiful cave inside. <laughs> just just be aware. It's it's a, it's not a wet cave like others that have a lot of formations like stalactites and stalagmites. It doesn't have those because it's a dry cave. So it does have some formations that are interesting like the boxwork which kind of look like post office slots, mm-hmm. <laughs> like little boxes. Um but it's, I will say, it's not the most beautiful cave you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, not as dense features-wise. Like, say, Lehman Cave in Great Basin National Park. That one was packed full of features. But, um, yeah, n- noted. Good good note. Next question. How far in advance do, do tours need to be booked? Do you need reservations? So we would say... You for sure you need reservations if you're doing the wild cave tour or the what was the other one that the candlelight tour? Yep. That needed that had limited availability. Make reservations for the summer, I would say, or on holiday weekends. Um, and the park actually on their website they said their their busiest days are Tuesdays and Wednesdays, which I was very surprised yeah. about because normally I would say those would be the days to <laughs> that you don't need reservations. So that was surprising. So if I guess if you're going during the week, you during those busier times, you still want to make reservations. Yes. And the final question, is the park worth it? Uh, the short answer, for sure, yes. Um, I would say, personally, I might not make a trip all the way to South Dakota just for Wind Cave. But the great thing is that you can combine it with so many things, as we've talked about, including Badlands National Park, which is phenomenal. And uh, it is absolutely worth the stop when you're in the area. Um, it's you know in just such an interesting uh, snippet of history and geology below ground and, you know, pleasant no matter whether you can go below ground or not up top so absolutely worth it all right now we have the last section something to think about Um, something to think about for uh, this park that comes you know comes to mind as I was looking through the recent news articles is wildlife management and there are two megafauna populations that the National Park Service has done, you know, an active job managing in the park. The first one is the elk population. And recently, it was really interesting to read about how uh, volunteers have been asked to help the National Park Service trim the uh, Wind Caves elk herd. So they need to in trim the number of elk inside the park because of chronic wasting disease. Basically, the population was greater than the park's capacity to sustain. So the elk were removed and the population was brought down to a desirable target. Um, you know, just as late as you know last year. So, or I think it probably work actually started this January. So that's always an interesting thing when you think of having to remove um, elk and get them, or any animal, get them to a different, more healthy place. Uh, And of course, it's good for the whole herd uh, because there is only so much, uh, so much uh, food to go around. Uh, The second population would be the bison, 
and it was really interesting to read about. We talked about 450 or so bison in Wind Cave National Park, but right next door in Custer State Park, there is one of the largest bison populations in the world, about 1,400, 1,500 head of bison in that publicly owned herd. And every year, the last Friday in September, they have a a buffalo roundup. And this draws a ton of people uh, who flock to the Black Hills and just to see and attend the roundup in 71,000-acre Custer State Park. Uh, And, you know, they do this because they need to um, count the buffalo and then give them health checks and make sure they keep the bison population at a sustainable size. Um, Several hundred animals each year are sorted from the herd and later sold at auction, it says in the article. So the cool thing is that this is you know, a huge spectacle, apparently. It's not something we'd heard of when we visited, but reading about it makes it sound really cool. You know, people, this article says it's it's one thing that you just have to see at some point in your life, um, especially if you're big park nerds like us, but um, it would definitely try to center a, maybe our next trip around something like this. I just think it's cool to have a, a an event at uh, the center of, of a trip. So that would give us a good, perhaps, target date. The last Friday in September. Yeah, which was, what, yesterday? Right, uh, yes. As of when we're recording this. Right, so we um, missed it this year. We missed it, that's okay. Um, yeah, it's interesting to know just how much management goes into these parks, even the, these seemingly insignificant parks like Wind Cave. A lot of people have never heard of Wind Cave, Um, but there is a lot that goes into maintaining the wildlife, maintaining the history, maintaining the, the preserving the, the geology and everything like that. So that's, what's interesting. I think about these smaller parks. For sure. So everybody, thanks for checking us out. Uh, as we revisited U.S.'s sixth national park, Wind Cave. And if you enjoyed this podcast, this episode, we'd love to hear from you on our website, switchbackkids.com, or on our social media, at switchbackkids. Tell us what you liked and what you want more of, and send us your question for future parks. Next week, we'll be heading south to a park with an even deeper historical significance, a little park called Mesa Verde. Until Until then, then, switchbacks out. out.